Hear now God's word from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime... Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gathered, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out, what, uh, brought, brought out and gave her what food had been left over after being satisfied, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you go glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So ends the reading of God's word. May he indeed bless it. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. We've come to be fed by it. Would you enable us to hear you speaking clearly? Would you loosen my lips that I might proclaim your grace? Would you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and instruct us in righteousness? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Beloved, they say that the medium affects the message when it comes to a story. The medium affects the message. If you are um, making a movie, um, there are certain things that you have available to you when making the movie that uh, would make it unique. If, for instance, if you were taking a book and you were going to make a movie adaptation of it, you probably wouldn't just have the author sitting in a chair reading the book. You would have different characters, different actors acting them out, different scenes. You might have split-screen views, and of course you'd have a, a great soundtrack to accompany it and it affects the story. And even with a book such as our printed Bibles, we have the ability to flip back and forth. If we read over something and forget it, we can go back and we can make annotations to remember these things. And as authors or writers are writing either screenplays or their books, they keep the medium in, in mind for uh, how they're going to construct their story. And it's helpful for us to recognize that uh, much of God's word was given to us in a, or was given to God's people in an oral culture, meaning it was a, a spoken culture. Yes, it was eventually written down, but initially it was received in an oral form. And so as the authors would write their stories, they would write it in a way that it would be received as people were hearing it. And so you might see instances of repetition, or you might see hints or previews of things that are to come that might help you to understand the story when it comes into fulfillment. And our text begins with one such preview that seemingly out of the blue, we hear about this man, Boaz. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And at this point, we have no idea why we would even care about Boaz. Um, and that will be fleshed out in the future. But we do are, are told a few key things about this man. Um, and we get a, a glimpse of his character right off the bat. We hear that he's a worthy man. And we might think of worthy as um, godly, a godly character. And certainly some of that is true. But uh, the, the, the meaning of that particular phrase is really something more like a man of repute or a man of wealth. Um, could also refer to a, a soldier or a leader, but there's no context there. So we can see Boaz is not an average Israelite. He is a, he's an upstanding citizen, a, a figurehead in the community. Um, but then it says it's a, a, Naomi had a relative of her husband's who was of the clan of Elimelech. So we know uh, that Boaz was probably same age-ish, as Naomi, uh, older, an older man, and he's part of the same family as her husband. And we don't know at this point why that is important, but that will be fleshed out as the story proceeds. And Ruth and Naomi had left Israel, or Naomi had left full. She came back empty with Ruth. They came back because they heard that there was food after the famine, and now they're back, and it's time to go get some food. And so Ruth takes the initiative, and she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, we don't obviously live in a farming community or ancient Israelite community, so gleaning is probably something that is less familiar to us. Um, gleaning was something that God had put into his law as a means of providing for the poor 
the sojourner, um, even widows. And what gleaning was is as, as the reapers, as the workers would go into the field, um, the young men would grab the stalks of grain with their left hand and they would use the sickle with their right hand and as they gathered the stalks, they would hold them uh, on their shoulder and when it became too burdensome to carry this bundle, then they would lay them down in bundles on the ground and then the young women who were working in the fields would come and bundle them up and make these bundles. And as you can imagine, as careful as the reapers might be as they're holding this bundle, there would be times where stalks of grain would fall to the ground. Um, and the Lord said, don't pick those up. He said, leave those for the gleaners. And as they would reap their fields, he also said, don't go to the very edge of the fields, but leave the very edges of the fields for the gleaners. And so the gleaners, the poor, the widows, the, the sojourners would come in and pick up the, the pieces, uh, the, the stalks of grain that had fallen. They would be able to go on the outside of the field. And this was the way that the Lord provided for these people. Um, and so immediately you see that Ruth somehow recognizes that she has this right afforded to her by the law of God. And she sees the law as a blessing, as a means of her blessing. And I think there's something instructive for us there. Um, often we think of God's law as restrictive, uh, reminding us of our sin, which is true. But we have to recognize, as I mean, we, we say it every week in the adoration of the law, that God's law is perfect. It revives the soul. It's a source of blessing. Um, and sometimes God's law requires of us a certain level of self-control and self-sacrifice. We have to give something up um, in order to be obedient. But what we can see here is that sometimes when we give things up, when we self-sacrifice, it is a blessing to someone else. It is a means of God's caring for someone else. And I'll give you an, an example for us. I mean, we're, we're told to honor the Lord with our lips. We're to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. We're, a fool gives full vent to his anger. We are to speak that which is useful for building others up. And sometimes we want to just give full vent to our anger and speak what's on our heart. But when we don't, when we discipline our lips to be encouraging, it's a great blessing to someone else. And so the law can be a blessing, and, and Ruth sees that blessing, and she takes advantage of that blessing that's afforded to her in the law. And then it, it says, um, verse 3, that she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It, the text literally says, she just so happened, or maybe a better translation is, as luck would have it, she came to the field of Boaz. And you might be thinking, well, but Mark, there's no such thing as luck. You know, nothing just happens. You know, God is sovereign. God is in charge of all things, and he works out all his holy will. And I would say you're absolutely correct. That is absolutely true, that God does, that is one of the great and glorious themes of the book of Ruth, is that God is working out all of his holy will. We call that God's providence, that he is um, uh, ruling over all of his creatures and all their actions. He's bringing out all of his holy will. 
but you know, we shouldn't try to be smarter than God's word. God's word literally says, it just so happened. It just so happened. And what I think what we need to understand is that um, even in the mundane events of our lives, the somewhat chaotic nature of our lives, it sometimes seems like things just happen. Or you just have, um, you know, interactions with friends or whatnot that uh, just so happens. And God is even intervening in the midst of those events. From Ruth's perspective, she did not seek out the field of Boaz. She, did, she probably didn't even know about Boaz at this particular time. But it just so happened that she ended up there. And um, in our lives, like Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul says, makes this statement um, that, we, that God has determined the time and the place that each one of us lives. Like the fact that you live in the neighborhood that you do and have the neighbors and the friends and the coworkers that you do, that's no accident. That is God's design. Uh, you know, every, everything that happens, every minute detail of your life from the uh, distractions or, you know, deviations on the way to church or work every morning, uh, the conflicts that come about in your lives, the offhanded remarks that are made, all of that is part of what God is using to shape you and direct your life. And it's not just in the big events, but also in the small events. And I, and I would hazard a guess that if you were to look back on your life from this point back, you would see all the twists and turns of your life that brought you to this point, which at the time didn't seem like very clear why things were happening that particular way, but the Lord has brought you to this point. And that's the thing about God's providence is in the moment you it's confusing. You don't understand it. Well, you know, why, why, why am I going through this? But um, like one Puritan pastor said um, kind of cleverly, is he said, God's providence, like the Hebrew language, is best read reading it backwards. We have to look backwards and see where we've been in order to understand how God got us here. Um, so she just so happens to end up in the field, just like they had just so happened had gone to Moab and her, uh, Naomi's husband and sons just so happened to die there and Mo, uh, Ruth just so happened to come back. And now Boaz just so happened to show up in the field when Ruth was there. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And we see a bit of his character right off the bat. He walks into the field and he says to his reapers, his workers, the Lord be with you. And they answered joyfully, and the Lord be, bless you. This isn't a hostile work environment that he has created for his servants. It's one of joy and blessing. And Boaz arrives in the field. He blesses his workers, and he scans, perhaps checking on all his people. And off in the distance, he sees, he sees someone he doesn't recognize. He sees a young woman. And he turns to his foreman, and he says, wait, Whose young woman is that? And the foreman looks at him and he says, oh, oh, that. Yeah, that's the young Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. Notice, kind of notice his language. It's like the, the, the foreman recognizes, he knows Naomi and her name. She's got standing, but Ruth is just that, that uh, the young Moabite woman, that, that foreigner. 
Um, and then he, he, out of the mouth of the foreman, we get a little bit of Ruth's character. We, we see something about her that we hadn't seen before. Really two things. We see a humility and we see a strength or a persistence. He says, um, she's the young Moabite woman, and she, asked, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So this was something that was afforded to her under the law, and yet she is coming and she is submitting herself even to the foreman. She's humbly requesting, can I, can I please glean in this field? There's a quietness and a humility, and yet a persistence and a strength, and says, so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So if you can imagine the back-breaking work of get, following behind reapers and picking up one stalk here and another stalk there for hours on end in the middle of the hot sun, that's what Ruth is doing. She's continuing. She's persistent. She is eager to provide for her and her mother-in-law. And it's, uh, it's remarkable it, it, that Boaz sees her, isn't it? I mean, think about this. This is a man of, of repute, of man of wealth. Uh, these are his servants. But he knows them. He knows them, he blesses them, and he, he pays attention to them. Um. And that's, that's remarkable because he, he doesn't put himself above them as though they're, they're nothing. They're, they're something to him. And she is something. And he, he wants to know who that is. And so she's made this request. And Boaz, again, could have said, well, no, she's a foreigner. She's a, she, she doesn't know right in my field. Get this Moabite woman out of here. Or he could have said to his foreman, well, you go take care of this. You, you, you can tell her it's fine. But what does he do? He... He approaches her. He speaks tenderly to her. He says, verse 8, Now listen, my daughter. Now listen, my daughter. Hear this, my daughter. And that, that, that my daughter, that's the same tenderness that Naomi referred to Ruth in chapter 1, which hints both at maybe their age difference, but also the, the tender affection that he is showing Ruth. And as he speaks tenderly to her, there's three things that he says. Well, first, first he does is he says he welcomes her. He says, don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are reaping and, do, and go after them. He says, don't go anywhere else. Stay right here. This is where you belong. Consider this field your field. And these young women you belong with them. Stay with them. So he welcomes her. The next is she, he protects her. He says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Um, a gleaner, uh, she was a foreigner, so and a foreign w woman that was there on her own, uh, very possible that the workers could have treated her roughly. Or sometimes gleaners would get a, too ambitious with their gleaning and they would go to the bundles that were there and would start getting a little bit more than they should have, and uh, the workers would shoo them away and say, get out of this field, go somewhere else. But he says, I've told my young men not to touch you, not to harass you. And then he is abundantly compassionate 
and gracious. And, we, and it's hard for us to see it, but he says, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And this is remarkable because, so they would have a cistern full of water and somebody would go and draw the water and they would drink from that. But it was the foreigners or the women who would go and draw the water for the men. And he says, when you, Ruth, you young woman from Moab are thirsty, you go drink what the young men have drawn. He's, he's being compassionate and kind in, in a, an amazing way. And she recognizes it. She says, it says she fell on her face, bowing to the ground in this act of honor and um, respect. And she says, why have I found favor in your eyes uh, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And we, we can't see it there, but she, there's actually this play on words with that phrase. She, she's essentially saying, oddity in the Hebrew language, that the term for foreigner and take notice are of the same root uh, word. So it's almost like she's saying, you've noticed the unnoticeable. You've recognized the unrecognizable. You've, you've seen me. And you, why, why have you taken notice of me? Why, why, do, you, why do you care about me? And beloved, you have to know that that is the character of your God. That is the character of your God for you. Because regardless of how small you may feel or insignificant or valueless or hidden from God's sight, God sees you and he adores you and he is compassionate to you. Uh, one of the Psalms says, what is man? It marvels, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him. But that's our, our God. And in case we think that that's just a general broad brush, you know, mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ came to fully redeem the love of the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ took notice of who? The outcasts, the children, the widows, the foreigners, the oppressed. It's people like you and me, normal people, and that's your God. He knows you perfectly inside and out. He not only knows the thoughts and the fears and the concerns in your head and in your heart, but he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he is orchestrating even the small mundane events of your life according to his grace. And God does that for us simply because he is love because that is his character. He loves to lavish on his love on us. Boaz gives a reason for his love for Ruth. He says, uh, verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know. He says that, that chesed, that covenantal love, that kindness that you showed to your mother-in-law, I've heard all about it. I've heard how you walked out in faith, not joining yourself to a people you never even knew to go up to a place that you'd never been out of love for her. It's amazing. It's attractive. And then he says this, verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. He blesses her asking that the Lord would repay her for her kindness. And 
I think that's a hard thing for us to grasp, to, to think of the Lord as repaying people for their kindness or their love. But Scripture is clear that the Lord is debtor to no one, that the Lord repays us for what we do, whether good or evil. It just is not always in the time or the manner that we're expecting it, but it is a fact that God lavishes blessing upon those who are obedient to him. He promises it. Um, and this is actually the second time that uh, there's been this blessing uh, uttered to Ruth. You know, we saw it in chapter 1 where Naomi said, you know, may you be blessed for your kindness. But here we see it again. And But here, Boaz says this. He says the reason for that blessing is because under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in chapter 1, Ruth said to Naomi, I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to come with you, I'm sticking with you, and I'm going to return to that land. Boaz recognizes that when Ruth did that, she wasn't just accompanying an old mother-in-law. She was joining a people. She was joining a people. And it wasn't just any people, it was... God's people. And in so doing, these were God's covenant people. God's covenant people. And by joining herself with that, she was, God had entered into a covenant with his people that he would be their protector and their provider and their blessing. And Boaz recognizes that when Ruth came, she was putting herself under that same blessing of the wings of the Almighty. And he says, May the Lord bless you for what you've done because you have come under his wings. He's a covenant-keeping and covenant-making God who will watch over and shelter us. And that's true comfort, beloved. That should be true comfort for you, and it's true comfort for her. She says, um, you've comforted. I found favor in your eyes. And my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. Can you imagine how uh, anxious and fearful a young Moabite woman would be going, going into a field that she knew no one, and she was a hated enemy of the Lord, a young girl with no protection, and yet she says, you have comforted me with your kindness, with your love. And she demonstrates his immense humility. She says, she calls him, or she calls herself your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. She's like, I'm not even worthy to be considered one of your servants. I'm, I'm beneath that. Thank you for showing that level of kindness. And we can't, what we can't miss, beloved, is that Boaz offers this blessing to her, but then he is also the means or the agent of that blessing. He doesn't simply just bless it and say, you know, I hope it works out for you. He blesses her. And look at all the ways that he does this. As we see it when, when, when the story progresses to dinner time, to, to mealtime. It says, um, the first thing he does is he says, he draws her near. He says, come here. So she felt herself beneath even the servants. She was probably sitting or standing far off to a distance. And he's at the meal with his workers, which is remarkable in and of itself, and he says, come here, come here, you belong over here. He draws her near. 
uh, and then he elevates her as a peer. He's, he's already elevated his workers by eating with them, but now he, he elevates her. It says, he says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she has a crusty piece of dry bread, and it's probably not wine. It's probably some kind of sour sauce, dipping sauce, that they would use to moisten the bread and give it some flavor. And he's, he says, no, no, you're not going to eat that dry crust while we eat something better. You come and you put your food, you dip your food in, in with us. Then he serves her. He serves her. It says, so that she sat beside the reapers and he passed her the roasted grain. Probably more likely it is that he took the grain and he walked up to her and she held out her hands and he poured the grain in her hands and then made a little pile at her feet for the excess that she couldn't hold. But he himself, this man of wealth and honor, served her. And then he's abundantly generous at a cost to himself. He, he gives her more grain that she, than she needs, more than she could eat at this meal. He gives her leftovers, to a, a doggy bag to bring home. And but, but even more than that, he lets her glean among, among his fields, but he goes beyond, above and beyond. Because what does he do? He says, he, says, um, he, he tells his, his workers, he says, um, let, her, let her glean among the sheaves, don't reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Like, I know that you've already worked and you made these bundles, but... As she goes through, leave some extra out. Make it easier for her. And when all is said and done, she, she works, it says, from morning to evening, and it says she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And I know an ephah, I know you all know what that is, but just bear with me while I explain it. An ephah is probably somewhere on the order of 30 to 50 pounds of grain once she had beat it out. So there was the stalk. She got rid of the, everything but the, the seed. She had 30 to 50 pounds. Consider one of those big bags of dog food. She had that. And a, a young male worker could be expected to eat one to two pounds of grain a single day. So in one day, she has gathered about a half a month's worth of provisions for herself and Naomi. That is an astounding amount of food for a single amount of day. And this is at the cost of the generosity of Boaz. He's, he's been abundantly gracious to her. Beloved, our Savior Jesus Christ has been even more abundantly gracious to us than even that. Because he has drawn us near. Remember what we read in, in Ephesians chapter 2? We who were far off have been brought near to the, by the blood of Christ. We, we were separated from our Father, but Jesus Christ, by his blood, has drawn us near, has beckoned us to come to his throne of grace with confidence. He, our Lord Jesus elevates us. He took on flesh to become like us, and Hebrews says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. This is the almighty God of the universe. He has elevated us to his, his level. Uh, he's, he's served us as his bride, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, he was willing to take off his own garments and wash his, 
disciples' feet as an act of his compassion. And of course, he is abundantly generous at the cost of his own life. He shed his life. He willingly gave up his life so that we would have this eternal inheritance, this blessing upon blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. It's ours in Jesus Christ. And coincidentally, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the heart of our God. The heart of a God who is above all, has created all things for himself, and yet approaches us in love and lavishes his love and his blessing on us simply because he adores his creation and he adores showing love. So if you don't know that love, I urge you to come to Christ and to receive that love that is being lavished upon you. So all this happens and Ruth picks up this big sack of grain, hauls it home, no dolly, no beast of burden. She just carries it home with her own strength. And as she walks in, her mother-in-law is no doubt wide-eyed. And basically, where have you been? <laughs> what, who, whose field were you in? What, what, what happened? Tell me the whole story. And as Ruth tells her the story, I think uh, you, can, you can see Naomi's bitterness start to melt into a pleasant smile as she begins to see God's careful and loving promise to provide for his people. She sees his abundant um, blessing. And maybe we see a, a bit of repentance there because, you know, Ruth says, oh yeah, Boaz also said um, I should keep close to his young men until the harvest is done. And what does Naomi say? She's like, she's like it is good that you go out with his young women, unless you be in another field, you'd be assaulted. You remember, chapter 1, she left the Lord's field and was assaulted in the land of Moab. And perhaps she's saying, in Boaz's field, you will be sheltered by the Almighty. Don't leave that field. That is the place of blessing. That is where God's chesed is. That is where his caring concern for you, you will be assaulted anywhere else. Stay there. Remain. Don't do what I do, did. Learn from my mistake. And then she hints at this thing. She says, uh, you know, and plus he's, a, he's one of our, he's a close relative, one of our redeemers. And she's hinting at the, the notion of a kinsman redeemer, which we'll look at over the next couple of weeks. But notice what she says. She says, she says to Ruth, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. She says, Ruth, you're, you're one of us. You're part of my family. He is one of our redeemers. Well, beloved, as we uh, just reflect on this passage, there's just a few applications I'd like to draw out uh, just real briefly as we begin to close. The first, I think, is we have to see that as we look at Boaz and Abimelech kind of side by side, we have to realize that we are not victims of our circumstances. We're not victims of our circumstances. Remember, Elimelech left for Moab because of the famine. He was, it, it was an innocuous sounding little statement, but he left because there was food in Moab, even though it was outside the land of promise. But Boaz was subject to the same famine. They were 
probably roughly the same age, but Boaz stayed. And what was the result? Elimelech was outside the protection of the Lord. Perhaps we're supposed to see his death and the death of his sons as a consequence of that. Whereas Boaz remained, he's clearly prospering, even in the midst of the Lord's severe hand. And um, Scripture often puts before us these two options. There's the path of obedience and the path of disobedience. And often it comes down to our circumstances and can we be, can we walk by faith even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances? Um, but we must never take the pragmatic solution over the biblical solution if the pragmatic solution, the, the practical, well, this, this, this is the only thing I can do. I have to provide for my family. I must leave. You must never make that choice if it is a either-or type of choice. Uh, another thing is, um, I think we see a beautiful picture of godly hospitality in this passage. Uh, Ruth was clearly an anxious outsider, um, fearful, and yet Boaz comforted her. And how did, how did he do that? He did that by noticing her, by approaching her, by showing compassion to her, by speaking to her with kindness. And the, the Apostle James says that we are to not show favoritism. Um, and so, which could either be you know, wealthy or poor, but also familiar and unfamiliar. Um, so I would encourage you on Sunday mornings or even other days of the week, open your eyes to unfamiliar faces, to people that are uh, all on their own, and show them hospitality, uh, show them love. Whether God is giving us the privilege of visiting with this individual, this family, only one time, or this is soon to be a member of this family of believers, make the most of it and love with the love of Christ. Um, make them feel welcome. Um, it's also important for us to see that God blesses his people through his people. Uh, Boaz, um, Boaz didn't bless Ruth and say, you know, blessed, blessed you be by the Lord, go and be warm and well fed. He actually did the hard work of serving her and caring for her. He was a vessel of, her, of God's grace for her. And as we talk through the book of Ephesians, as members of Christ's body, God blesses his people through the church. And so it is necessary for us to love with the love of Christ and um, let God bless people through you. But but that's only because we have been loved by the love of Christ. And that's only because we have been give, given what I'll call leftover grace. Leftover grace. When God showers his grace upon us, he never gives us a meager amount. He lavishes it on us. He's like Boaz giving more roasted grain than Ruth could possibly eat. There was, there was enough to share with Naomi. And God has lavished upon you more grace than you can handle so that you will have plenty to share with everyone who is in need. And we're all in need of that grace. 
Naomi left in chapter one, she left full and she returned empty. And in this chapter, we begin to see the Lord fill that emptiness with his grace. The famine gave way to the abundance of the harvest. And yet there is a hint that we're not quite there yet. We're not quite done. Uh, Boaz's words were, may the Lord repay you and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. And while their bellies are full, they're still unfinished business. They're still, both Ruth and Naomi are outside the protection of a husband. We see that. It says that, um, last verse, so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning till the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Probably two months. She was there in his fields. And yet, she lived with her mother-in-law. She lived with her mother-in-law. The redemption and restoration for Naomi and Ruth had begun, but it was incomplete. And yet there's hope. There's hope. Because Naomi says, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. God's abundant kindness is not yet complete. The full reward is yet to come. Let's pray together.